Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. During the series that we're currently in, which is part of a year-long series on spiritual growth, using the analogy, the metaphor of the three journeys, which is the inward journey of getting healed up, <clears throat> the upward journey of getting uh, to know God and coming into a deeper relationship with our Father and with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. But then the outward journey, which is uh, taking what we've received from our Father and giving it away and giving it to others and ministering to our community, ministering to others in our lives. And the outward journey is as important to our spiritual growth as the inward and upward journey. A lot of people think spiritual growth is just about becoming sanctified or, or getting to know God, and that evangelism stuff is, is for the, the few. You know, that's for the, the Marines. <laughs> I'm just a regular Christian soldier, right? <laughs> no, it's for everyone. It's just as important for your spiritual growth and, and your nurturing as a Christian as it is uh, for reaching the world. And the inward and upward journey are really meant to equip and empower us for this outward journey. And so if the inward and upward journey is meant to equip us and empower us, but we never get around to the outward journey, and then we're really missing the point of the other two journeys, right? And so we need to understand that. And actually, understanding that gives a lot more reason and meaning to uh, getting your, your life straightened out with Christ. And so many Christians end up living their whole life in mediocrity. They never excel. They never go beyond the minimum because they don't get this. They don't get that they're called to a purpose. That uh, getting over sin in your life, getting over issues in your life, getting over offense, getting over unforgiveness, getting over all that stuff is unto something. And that is the outward journey. That's what we're calling the outward journey. Um, And uh, our theme verse for this this portion of, of the series is found in John chapter 20. When Jesus addressed his disciples and he said, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And that, I'm sure, rocked the boat of those young men who heard that because they had seen Jesus' life and they'd seen his, his, his arrest, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection. And then he turned to them and said, Tag, you're it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says that to you and I, if you're a disciple of Christ, this outward journey is about being sent by Jesus in the same way that he was sent by the Father. And we've, we've talked several messages about that. But I want to uh, take that to the next step and talk about how um, uh, the church is really, uh, we're talking in October, this is the last of the October messages, um, but the church we've been talking about as mission. Okay, A lot of people think there's church and then there's mission. Right? And churches gather and fellowship, and you know we have a spiritual family. We learn about Jesus. And we eat donuts together. <laughs> donuts are good, especially these donuts. We we, we rock on the donuts. Okay, we got that down. Uh, and then there's mission where you go out and you maybe do street ministry, or you go to another country. I'm going to Japan. Anybody want to come? You can still get on board uh, in a couple of weeks, and that's great. We go to nations that uh, have virtually no representation of the church, and we preach the gospel. Or we go to places and, and minister to the poor, and that, that's mission. 
And then there's things like the Gospel Mission. In Kalamazoo, there's a large uh, organization called the Gospel Mission, and they take people in off the streets. And it's a very effective, it's a very powerful ministry that uh, uh, really revolutionizes people's lives. But there's a disconnect in a lot of Christians' life between church and mission. And the reality is, church is mission. Okay, That disconnect is artificial. It's, it's imposed on us because of, of our history and the way things have gotten structured. And, and so, unfortunately, a lot of people can attend church their whole life and miss the point of church. Okay? And that's really sad. And you're going to have a shock. You may still make it into heaven, but you're going to get there and go, oops, <laughs> I missed the whole point. Okay? Because church, we are the army of God. There's not like this other institution that Jesus is using other than the church. Right. Jesus said, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail Okay, so the gates of hell. How many, how many build gates and expect gates to move? To advance. Do gates advance? No. Gates are part of a wall. They're a door. But they're, they're a defensive... They're relatively... They open and close. They move in that sense. But they don't, they're, they're, they're a defensive mechanism. Right? You have a gate at your driveway you're, to keep people out. And so if the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, who's the moving party in that? Sure, the church. Amen. You know? So it came to me, all, it seems like all hell is breaking loose, which is something that we've experienced as a family with Peter and Esther and everything else. I'm like, oh, that's because we're pushing against the gates. That's right. You know? We're pushing against the gates, and we're knocking those gates down. So church as mission. Okay, sorry, I can just ramble forever. <laughs> new creation model. So that's what I'm going to talk about. This new create this the church as the model of what the new creation. So I got to give a little bit of background here, but uh, <clears throat> on the outward journey, fulfilling our purpose as God's people is as essential to the gospel as personal salvation. It really is. Okay. Now, it, personal salvation is pretty essential because you'll never fulfill the purpose of, uh, of, of this outward journey if you're not personally saved. But again, too many Christians and too many churches and too much of Christianity end with salvation when really salvation is the starting point. It's like, great, you made it to the, the, start, the start line, not the finish line. <laughs> okay, now run, right? Um, we're saved unto something, not just from something. We're saved from hell. We're saved from death. Praise God. We're saved from sin. We're saved from Satan. Hallelujah. But we're saved unto something, and that's God's purpose. And that's what we're talking about. So we're looking at uh, the church as it's depicted in the book of Acts, uh, uh, the early first century church, as a model and as a template for how we as a church are to um, conduct or uh, walk out this outward journey. And the big idea is that the church... And right now, to illustrate what the church is, I want you to do something really radical, okay? I want you to look around this room. Because, guys, this is it. You're it. You're the church here, okay? It doesn't matter if there was three people here, or 300, or 3,000, or 30,000. We're not the only church in Cass County, but we are a church, and we're part of the church. And the church... And this region is responsible for reaching this region. 
We can't sit back on our laurels and want, wait until Billy Graham Association. <laughs> Is Billy still around? Is yeah, he still around? He's 99. Who's the next Billy Graham? How about you? Come on. How about us? The church. The church is God's means of accomplishing the Great Commission. The church. Jesus said the Great Commission to his disciples, not just to one of them. So as and that they were the church. They were the totality of the worldwide church at that time. And he gave that commission to the church. So we are the we are the means. Uh, the church is a community with a speci- specific purpose. And in Acts, we see this purpose. They realize it, and this is really important. If you read through Acts, you know it spans about a forty to sixty year period. You can read through the book in a, in a uh, if you're a good reader, if a fast reader, you can read it an hour or two. If uh, spread it out over a couple of days or a couple of weeks at most. You know, you think, oh, it just happens over a few weeks. No, it actually takes 40 to 60 years from chapter 1 of Acts to the the last chapter uh, of Acts. And so it's the church coming to a realization, oh, this is who we are. This is what we're meant to to do. And then you see how they do it. But first I want to tie in the book of Acts with this idea of the new creation, we are, we're all new creations in Christ, and, and this term, what does this new creation model means? So in order to explain the new creation, we kind of got to go back in time. This is kind of like the magic school bus. How many remember that? <laughs> hmm? I'm Miss Frizzle. Miss, uh, well, I'm just frizzled. <laughs> So they get on this uh, school bus, this TV show, and take them back to different times in history to explain history lessons. And so we're going to go back to the beginning of time. <laughs> I just thought of the Disney ride, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> and Genesis 1.28. So this is after God created Adam and Eve. Uh, male and female, he created uh, them uh, and said, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on earth. Folks, this was the first great commission. This is the first commandment of God. I like to trick people. What was the first commandment? They all say, they shall have no other gods before me. And I said, nope, you're wrong. <clears throat> that was the first of ten, but that came many, many years, centuries later. Uh, this was the first commandment, was be, to be fruitful and to multiply and fulfill and subdue the earth. Adam and Eve, humanity was not meant to stay within the boundaries of the Garden of Eden. All right. They were actually meant to push those boundaries outward until it encompassed the entire planet. Okay, So that the entire planet was the realm of God's dominion. Wow, that's the Great Commission, and it was spoken to the first of mankind, Adam and Eve, and it was intended to be fulfilled by them and their descendants. Um, in this creation, <clears throat> that first creation, the original creation, the creation of which we all are a part. Uh, everyone came out of one man. Started with Adam. All were descendants from him. But because of sin, you know the story, they became fractured. They fragmented into divisions upon divisions. And ultimately, they became very, very destructive. 
right? It all led to death. But listen, that did not annul God's commandment. God never took that back. All right? In fact, he said, after he dealt with sin and in the one instance with, with the flood, he looked down on the earth because of the violence, he, he destroyed uh, all mankind, but uh, Noah found grace in the sight of God, and so God uh, uh, made a way, uh, told Noah to make a way, <laughs> to build an ark to save him and his family. And, and so Noah and, uh, and the total of eight on the ark survived the flood, and when they came out of the flood, uh, out of the ark after the flood, it says, uh, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, listen, does this sound familiar? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, same, same commandment that I gave Adam and Eve. The commandment stands, this is what humanity is supposed to do, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. And then we see it repeated again to Abraham in Genesis 22. This is, again, uh, many, many years later, many, many generations later, when God selects Abram to be uh, the, uh, the, the uh, he finds favor in, in the sight of God, and, and he selects Abram as the chosen one through whom the Messiah would come. Uh, and um, this is what uh, God said to Abraham after Abram had waited. He was, I think, 100 years old when he, he was Billy Graham's age, <laughs> when he finally had a son, the son of promise. Isaac finally came, and, and uh, they had been promised that, and he, he didn't think it ever happened. It finally happened. And then uh, uh, and Isaac was a young man, probably 10 or 12. We don't know the exact age, I don't think. Um, God said, you need to sacrifice him. And, and it was a test. And so uh, Abraham... Uh, was faithful to God's commandment and actually took Isaac, his only son, up onto a mountain and, and tied him on the, the altar, and he was going to sacrifice him. And, um, and as he lifted up his hands with the, with the knife to slay his son, an angel appeared and stopped him. And so that act of obedience unto sacrificing his, 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 his only son, which was illustrative, which was something that God asked Abraham to do as a demonstration, but God actually did in sending Jesus Christ. God doesn't ask anyone to do something he hasn't, he isn't willing to do, and frankly, he hasn't already done. Okay? So God actually did send his son, and he didn't hold back the knife. He allowed Jesus to die on the cross as payment for our sin, but this was, this was acted out in prophetically. And, of course, he didn't kill his son, and, and, and God provided the lamb, and they sacrificed the lamb. But this is what God said to Abram afterwards. He says, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will, multi I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall be possess the gates of their enemies, in your seed, all nations, all nations, and nations are people groups, all ethnicities, all people, the entire populated planet of the earth shall be blessed 
because you've obeyed my voice. And so this is, again, the same commission that was given to Adam that was repeated to Noah and passes on through the whole descendancy of Abraham throughout the Old Old Testament that through them the entire world would be blessed. Okay, Same commission carried out. Um, and, and repeated many, many times throughout the Old Testament to different uh, 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 people in, in the line of uh, Abraham until finally <clears throat> Jesus comes as the fulfillment. He is the seed uh, through which this promise was going to be fulfilled. He was the descendant of Abraham that came and died on the cross and uh, through Christ's death, then that promise is able to be fulfilled. All right, so we're just kind of going through. I'm kind of rapidly going through, kind of like the the big story of the whole Bible. That if you don't get the big story, you won't understand any of the little little parts of the story as it goes along. And so, here in Galatians, we see this is a book in the New Testament written to the church to kind of explain how Jesus. This uh, uh, Jewish man who lived in, and was crucified fulfills this promise that was promised to Abraham, that was promised to Abraham's descendants, to Abraham, to Noah, to Adam and Eve. He says, for you are all sons, you being the church. Now we're in the New Testament. Jesus is risen from the dead. This is written many years after that. And um, the you there are Christians, people who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. So that was the big division throughout the Old Testament. And a lot of the Jews thought, well, we are the people, we are the chosen people, it's the Jews that are going to rule. But all the way through the Old Testament, the Jews were there to be a blessing to all nations. All right, And it was through that descendancy, through Abraham, that all nations were to be blessed. And here the Bible explains, God explains in, in Galatians that we become part of that. Right? And so in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. So let's just stop there. That means that in Jesus, uh, racial divisions don't exist, okay, in the sense of causing division. It doesn't say that there aren't different races. All right, We don't all become homogenized. God doesn't all throw all humanity into a blender and pour us into a new mold <laughs> of carbon copies. Thank God. All right. There's this great, great verse in Revelations where it talks about worship in heaven. And it says that and they heard, John heard worship in every language and every tongue from every nation. All right. So how did he know they were from different nations, different people groups? Because they looked differently. They sounded differently. All right. So this this is huge. OK, this is like on a scale of theological truths way up there, really big, because this tells us something about uh, the eternal, our eternal existence. This tells us something huge. It says that there are aspects of our ethnicity that last eternally. OK. Because in heaven, people speak different languages and are from different nations and you can recognize it. And it's celebrated. It doesn't cause division. 
It actually promotes unity. I am so glad. You know, yesterday on the way back from Indy, we stopped at the Essen house. Praise God for Amish food. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, glory, hallelujah. All right. It's amazing food. But you know what? Praise God for Lebanese food, Arabic food, Middle Eastern food. That's what most people, it's actually Lebanese cuisine. Middle Eastern. I like shawarma. Okay. And shawarma likes me, all right? <laughs> I like jasmine rice, all right? I, I love it. I love falafel. People are like, what's falafel? You don't know what falafel is? I love falafel. I love curry. Oh, curry. The real reason I go to Japan is because of the food, okay? <laughs> and we do a little mission work in between our meals. We're planning out which restaurants we're going to. And we'll pray in between this restaurant. <laughs> That's a joke, but there's more serious to that than that. <laughs> the first four or five times I went, we always went to this one American-ish. Uh, the American food there is lousy. <clears throat> and I finally was like, let me try this, let me try that. Like, this is amazing food. I mean, this is absolutely mind-boggling. They take the seafood out of the sea within hours of you eating it because they're in the middle of the ocean, right? And so everything is super fresh. It's just amazing. <clears throat> And so this ethnicity extending into eternity is huge because it means that our ethnic differences are of value to God. And it's actually part of our worship to God. So us being descendants of Germans and English and whatever else you are, I'm a mix, right? That's part of our worship. But an African-American descendant from an African, that's part of their worship. And a Japanese, it's part of their worship, is to express worship in their ethnic, unique, uh, 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 unique way. Yet still do it in a way that brings unity. Okay, I can talk about that for a long time. <clears throat> and there's, so there's neither ethnic divisions in Christ. There is neither economic divisions, slave and free. Okay, that's the whole range, all right? From, from being a slave, from being poor, from being uh, an object, to being free, a free person, to having uh, a personal wealth. There's economic divisions doesn't div separate us in Christianity. They're actually a means by which we can work together. And there are not gender differences. Does this mean there are not different genders? God forbid, and he actually does. <laughs> you know, I'm really glad Everybody's not a male, all right? Because then that would be just really bad, <laughs> really boring. And human population would last not very long because we'd all die because we can't have babies, all right? And, and, and so this, the differences between that, uh, gender is just as much part of our unique ability to worship God with the different expressions. Men and women are different on purpose, and together we create the whole of, of what it is to be man. So all of those things work together, for you are all one. So that's a beautiful thing. All these divisions now become one in Christ, and if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. That bringing back to the promise, heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise that was given to Abraham, the promise that was given to Mo, uh, Noah, the promise that was given to Adam and Eve that they would uh, have dominion over the whole earth. All right, And that we'd rule. <clears throat> so in this new creation, the fragmented, divided humanity of the old creation is brought back together into one man. In the old creation, we came out of one man. In the new creation, we come back into one man, and that one man is Jesus Christ. Huh? Shabbat.
That is the church. That is the church. That's what I mean by the church. Right? When, I, when I talk about church, it's not the building, it's not the people. It's this. It's God uniting all of mankind, rem- overcoming every form of division and fragmentation so that we can become one humanity that perfectly reflects the character of God and can walk in the commandment and the commission that God's given us from the beginning. All right, Jesus said, <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking to his disciples at the um, uh, right before he ascended into heaven. <clears throat> this is what we normally call the Great Commission. So Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. This is after he was dead and buried, after he rose from the dead. <clears throat> After he had taught them for uh, until Pentecost, or before right before Pentecost, right before the, this is right before the ascension, he said, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. <clears throat> Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." Ah, <gasps> there it is again, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is repeated in a a little bit different way in the book of Acts, as Luke, the author, uh, 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 writes uh, the encounter uh, when Jesus spoke to his disciples before the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses he witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this is normally what we call the Great Commission. But one of the big points of this sermon was to link this commission back to the original commission. And that humanity is continuing in the same command, to fulfill the same commission that began at the very first creation when God looked at Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful be multiplied, fill the earth, go to all, take this to all the nations. And so our God's purpose has not changed. And we see this pattern from Judea, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is basically the outline of the book of Acts. It's it's geographical and and how it spreads. Chapters 1 through 7 almost exclusively happen within the boundaries of Jerusalem and Judea. Everything happens, those first seven chapters. And eight, there's a shift. Some things start happening up in Samaria. Wow, Samaria was like the the bad, you know, for a, a Jew living in Jerusalem, the Samaria was the bad area because um, they weren't full-blood Jewish. They had mixed religion influences. But God started breaking out and people started getting saved. Then in 9 and 10, a major shift happens where Saul gets converted, who had been a a zealous Jew, actually going from city to city, arresting Christians. And then Peter, uh, uh, at this point still the primary leader of the church, gets this vision. Up until this point, they were basically just preaching to Jews, even in, in Samaria. They were going to Jewish and they, were just, they just thought it was just a, this was a revival of Judaism. And Peter has this uh, vision of God convincing him that all flesh is clean. The, the visions of the past no longer apply. And so he's like kind of figure, trying to figure out what this means. And this guy knocks on his door and is a representative of Cornelius, which was the leader of the Italian regiment. 
Okay, and said uh, Cornelius would like to have you come to our, his house and and share what you know about this person Jesus. Okay, so this is Peter, a Jew, being invited into an Italian's house, a Gentile. All right, that was forbidden. It was taboo. All right. Furthermore, these were Italians. Okay, <laughs> this was the mob. <laughs> These were Italian soldiers. They had all the weapons of the Roman Empire, all right? They were decked out. They had their own regiment with the Italians. Can you imagine? All right, so Peter not only goes to some Gentiles, he goes, like, to the the bad guys. And when he walks in, he just starts telling them about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit falls. And they all start speaking in tongues, and he says, how can we withhold water baptism from from them, that God's baptism with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so that was the beginning, chapter 10, and from then on we start seeing it spread to the Gentile world. The rest of the Acts, and I love how Graham, I think it was two weeks, a couple of weeks ago, shared how Acts is the hinge pin, uh, hinge pin of the New Testament, it transitions us from Jesus' work into the work of the church. Um, and so we see the story of Acts unfolding uh, with the church, mostly led by Paul, going from city to city, preaching the gospel and establishing churches. Uh, and this is in the Bibles to teach us how to do it. All right, uh, And we're just going to read a couple of stories. <clears throat> um, uh, just picked out a couple that are, are, are significant. The news of these things um, came to the ears. This is now chapter 11. Uh, of the, the news of these things, so something was happening up in Antioch, which was a very northern Palestine, or what we would call southern Syria now. It's right in the, it's in the very southern tip of Syria, the very top of the uh, Palestinian region. And so revival had been breaking up. A lot of people getting saved up there. And so they sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came he had see, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them uh, all, with, uh, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Uh, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was, for the, uh, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Barnabas, sent from the apostles in Jerusalem up to Antioch, sees all these people getting saved and said, man, I need a really good teacher because these people don't know anything about the Bible, about the, what we call the Old Testament. They, they, need to, they need somebody that really understands this. Oh, that Saul guy. He's brilliant, and he's been back. He went back home to Tarsus, which is in what we call Turkey, and he spent a few years up there, kind of recalibrating his theology. Because once he got saved, he had to go through and realize how all those Old Testament stories actually picked, pointed to Jesus. So he'd been t- for several years up there studying the true meaning of of, the, of Scripture and how it points to Jesus. So Barnabas brings. Uh, Paul back, and they spent a whole year just preaching and equipping the church. And it was there that the church first became called Christian. I was halfway through the book of Acts before they were called Christians. And I love that the name that stuck, Christians, and that means living in Christ. All right, The outsiders called them Christians because all they talked about was Christ. 
And they talked about living in Christ to the point where they were like, these people are citizens of Christ. They're Christians. And that stuck when the church actually stepped into fulfilling the Great Commission. They stepped into their real identity, the identity that's continued for now 2,000 years. We're called Christians when we're actually doing the work of Christ, when we're spreading that news, extending His kingdom from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and now beginning to the ends of the earth in Antioch. Uh, chapter 13, a few chapters later, um, up in Poseidon, which is central Syria, they had continued to expand from Antioch. Antioch became a center from which they sent out Paul and Barnabas, but also many other leaders to that whole region to preach the word. <clears throat> Paul and uh, Barnabas grew bold up in this town called Poseidia. Uh, they again would go into a city, begin with the Jewish uh, uh, tabernacle, or not tabernacle, synagogue, the, the Jewish uh, meeting place. Um, and they'd preach to the Jews until they got kicked out. <laughs> All right, so it was necessary. The word of God should be spoken to you. He's talking to the Jews in Bethsaida. Uh, but since you reject it and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And the reason was all these Gentiles were just agreeing and, and, and confessing faith by in hordes. Uh, um, for so the Lord has commanded us, and I love this, he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes a, a prophecy spoken over the Jewish people. All right, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for the salvation to the ends of the earth. All right, and So Paul's saying, listen, that commission of being a light to the earth is a commission to the people of God. And if you're not going to live it, we're going to live it. Because in Christ, it, that is lived out by Jew, Gentile, Greek, slave, free, and woman. We're stepping into it. We're fulfilling the commission. And that now doesn't apply just to Paul and Barnabas. That applies to the Nunei Community Church of Vandalia. All right? It applies to Lou and the Dale and the Luke. All right? It applies to Shelton. It applies to you and I. <clears throat> Uh, now when the Gentiles, now the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord uh, was being spread throughout all the region. And so we see this unfolding as the pattern for the church that we need to live today. The I mean, last story we're going to look at is when it happened in a city called Ephesus, which was a major trading center in uh, Asia. And it was a major Roman uh, port. It was actually on the ocean. If you go there now, which I was there a few years ago, the ocean is many, many miles, like 30, 40 miles away because of climate change, the ocean, whatever happened. I don't know what happened, but the ocean, is, it shocked me. They were saying this was a port city. I'm like, the, it's in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Have you been there? <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but unlike most uh, ancient cities, it was... Uh, when when the ocean dried up, it actually first got all marshy and the boats couldn't come in, and so they it couldn't be a port city anymore, so everybody moved. And so the buildings are basically left, were left intact. Um, <clears throat> there are no roofs, obviously, but there's pillars and walls. And there's actually uh, markings on the, in, in front of each, uh, each building, but if it was a Jewish-owned building, there'd be, they'd carve a menorah, which is a candlestick, into the stone. 
And if it was a Christian-owned uh, uh, business or residence, they had the symbol of a fish. So, and I, I, no one told me that beforehand. I'm walking down, I'm like, dang, that looks like a menorah. That's kind of interesting. I look at it, oh, wow, that's a fish. And then I found out later that that was like a, the, how they communicated whether they were Christian. And if it was neither, it was, then it would have been a pagan religion. And so here we say, when, uh, so this is a huge bustling city. <clears throat> when they heard this, uh, so Paul and his, uh, Paul went there and probably set up his shop selling tents in the marketplace, which was his custom, and found some uh, disciples, some people that had heard about Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized. They hadn't been ba- water baptized. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So we see kind of like package deal almost every time throughout the book of Acts when people come into salvation, they get baptized, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start operating in the gifts. And listen to this. Now, the men were about 12 in all. So there's only a dozen guys in this major city but Paul said, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, he changed tactics here. I, I read a biography of Paul, and they described this in, in Corinth, where Paul stopped going from town to town and actually would stay in a city for a number of years and train up other people because he was getting older. <laughs> and he realized it was more effective. And sure enough, he just sowed into these 12, and he went into the synagogue, spoke, spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Then the, the Jewish people got upset with him and kicked him out of the synagogue. But he continued for two years, and look at this, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord uh, Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Think about that. Everybody in Asia, because of 12 people, We have about three times that in this room right now. You think we can hit all of Cass County? Nina says, yeah. In two years, all of Asia. Let's say all of Midwest. That's about an equivalent region. <clears throat> That's the church, folks. You want to know what church is? When people are, what church do you go to? I go to this church, that church, the church depicted in the scripture. Well, we happen to meet in New Day Community Church and Vandalia, and we got to go to this. But this is the church, right. <laughs> right? This is the template. This is the pattern that's repeated over and over through uh, the New Testament. Now, listen, this is the, actually the key verse. <clears throat> I finally got to the text of the sermon. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Aren't you glad worship ended early? <laughs> All right. Paul here. I believe, is explaining why he did what he did throughout the book of Acts. This is Paul later in life writing a letter to the church in Ephesus that we just read the history of, and he's explaining why he did what he did. He said, He, God, made known to me that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace, of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make known uh, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in Christ, who created, again, hearkening back to the first creation, 
created all things through Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, hey guys, this is the purpose of everything. And this is why I did everything, because this is the mystery that was hidden, but now it's been made revealed to the intent or for the purpose that now the manifold, the many-faceted, the amazing wisdom of God might be made known by the church, okay, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So it's through you, through us, through the church, that the wisdom of God is going to be revealed, not only the people that we encounter, but the angels and demons, the ruling forces, the governments and principalities. All right, like, like what is going on? The church is doing what it's called to do. Right? We don't have to fear what people do and what governments do. When the church does what she's called to do, governments bow. All right, it's happened countless times throughout history. All right, we're something bigger than any any government or any opposition to any government. The church lasts throughout all forms of government because we we're called to conquer the whole earth. All right, uh, and we're you and I are called to be the manifestation. We're the, called to make known the the wisdom of God. That's our calling to the principalities, powers, and heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. So that was accomplished in Christ. We take what Jesus accomplished and then carry it to the ends of the earth. That's why he did what he did. That's the same command that was given to Adam and given to uh, Abraham. It's fulfilled in Christ Jesus, all right? That we are <clears throat> to rule uh, and to reign and to extend the rule and reign of Jesus Christ throughout the whole earth. And we were to do that motivated not by conquest, not by power, but by what Christ came, uh, which was uh, love. For God so loved the world. All right, so what Adam and his bride, Eve, were commanded to do, Jesus, which the Bible calls the second Adam, and his bride, which is the church, actually get to fulfill. Isn't that cool? Come on, that's cool. <laughs> so we're in conclusion, well, what does that mean for you and I? Has God changed his purpose? No. Hasn't since Adam. Guess what? He's not going to. Today either. Same purpose. Doesn't matter what happens out there. Same purpose. How might this understanding clarify what we do as a church? I hope this is why we're preaching this, guys. We, every sermon is crafted to bring about change. I want you to know, why do we do fish fries? Why are we going and handing out invites for everybody to come to a chili cook-off and hand out warm clothes? Because we want to communicate that God loves them in a way that makes sense to them. And hopefully have the opportunity to say, you know, Jesus, Jesus died for your sins. Why? You know, I don't have any sins. Well, that's what I used to think. <laughs> Whatever, you know. Now, you don't you think you have sins? Let me point out of you. <laughs> okay. Is the church uniting the world? That's just pastor saying. So, in your opinion, is the church uniting the world? No. So that's, that's, that's the normal answer, and that's, a, that's an accurate answer. Because in many places and in many ways, the church is as divided, if not more divided. There are over, 300, over 325 
Baptist denominations in the United States. <laughs> it's just the Baptists, right? So we're so fractured. And then we actually, in many times, actually reproduce a fractured humanity. But I actually think it is. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is I'm not disagreeing with Dale. I'm sure we'd agree if we sat down and talked about this. We always agree about everything. Because <laughs> ultimately, like on the surface level, the church is not doing a good job. Ultimately, according to people who study this, 170 to 180,000 people became Christian today. Between 170 and 180,000 people became Christians yesterday. Tomorrow, between 170 and 180,000 people will become Christians. In a week, about a million people become a Christian. All right. To me, there's an there's this there's this current that's way below the surface that's moving to where millions upon millions, hundreds of millions a year are actually coming. Now, most of that is in China and in Africa, where they don't know the differences. They don't know all the differences. They don't know why. They, they, they don't even understand uh, the theological differences that divide the Western church. They go, what are you talking about? They're just passionate about Jesus. So, so Western Christianity may be divisive, but the, the undercurrent of genuine Christianity ultimately will end in a unification of all mankind under the banner of love carried by the Holy Spirit and championed by Jesus Christ. Okay, So ultimately, if we do this right, we will unite. It's when we do it wrong that we cause division. So let's quit doing it wrong. Are we following Paul's example? Are we going from city to city? Are we in our marketplace when we're doing our job, when we're at the marketplace, when we're buying stuff, are we communicating the gospel? How can, how can New Day Vandalia become like an Antioch? That's what we're called to be, an Antioch center and send out more churches. You know, we have three, but that's just the start. My personal life goal is to start 20 churches that all have a passion to start 20 churches. Okay? Uh, There's three new days. I'm actually at about five or six. Uh, I always lose count. (laughs) I'm going for 20. Uh, uh, How about those 12 disciples in Ephesus? Do you think they knew what they were getting into when they started listening to Paul? That within two years, all of Asia, they became a, a, a distribution point to where the church in Ephesus eventually got to be 30,000 uh, uh, historians think, but there were churches in all the region, uh, smaller towns. So we have Kalamazoo, we got Vandalia. You know, what, where's the next one going to be, right? Let's do it, folks. Can we believe to be like that? Can we believe for that? That's why I'm here. That's why I drive down here and preach and, and pray and we come down here and reproduce what we're doing is because God has a vision for our whole region. And then what might you be do, willing to do to fulfill your part of the Great Commission? Because uh, <clears throat> you all, it, it's, it's you. You're either in or you're out. All right. This is the purpose of the church. We're called to take the message to the world and you're either in or out. And so sitting and just coming and learning, maybe that's your part right now. Maybe you need to sit for two years and learn under someone like Paul or, you know, 
we're not Paul, Mark and I, we're <laughs> Paul wannabes, right? <laughs> but Dale, Dale, he's got it. Dale's got it, even Tuesday night. <laughs> uh, you know, that's part of it, but then you can take what you, you know, the, a Christian, once they're saved, you have something to give. The minute after you're saved, you have something to give. All right? You just don't think you do. Uh, and so, what are you? So let's just, just close up here. Of course, if you're not saved, if you haven't come to a place where you've committed your life to Jesus Christ to live and serve Him, if you don't believe that He died for your sin or you haven't committed your life, a lot of people think that they're not good enough to be a Christian. And, and it's, 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 it's sadly funny because that's the point. You can never be good enough to be a Christian. It's when you realize that you're never going to be good enough that you need to accept what he gives you uh, through grace that that then enables you to be, come into transformation, to become able to do what you're called to do as a Christian and to be who you're called to be. But on your own, you never are good enough. Jesus is good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't preach Cameron. I preach Jesus because Jesus is good enough. And so that personal salvation is absolutely critical, but that salvation brings you in to the commissioning of go preach the gospel to your Jerusalem. You know what? That's Vandalia. That's, that's uh, all the burgs around here that you live in. It's Cass County. It's Elkhart, right? It's Three Rivers. It's Cassopolis. It's <clears throat> and, and Samaria, you know? Where's our Samaria? It's Benton Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? It's in some area. Some area, South Bend, right? <laughs> some area uh, until the ends of the earth. That's wherever God takes you. So, Father, join with me in prayer, William. We come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you that you've called us to this glorious calling, this eternal purpose, that we're part of a church that has uh, the goal of reaching the world. And, Lord, whatever part we can do, even if it's winning one person, we're going to do it. Lord, we pray that you empower us to do it well and that this church, this congregation, Vandalia congregation, would become an Antioch center that would then send out other churches planted in in other areas in our region and in North America and across the the nations. Father, that this church would raise up leaders that could be sent out to raise up leaders. Father, that we could take our place in this great uh, uh, kingdom tradition of, of ministering the gospel. And I pray that each person here would, would claim their true identity and step into their calling as a man, as a woman, as a human, as a Christian to fulfill uh, your word and to, to, to fill the earth and to rule it in love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.